Good morning. Welcome to Cross Connection. I'm Pastor Mark. I'm sitting in for Pastor Miles, and we're going through the book of Jonah together. And it's a, it's really an exciting book to revisit and to look at and to uh, dig into. Um, as part of that, I decided I would take a five-day research trip uh, off to the ocean to do some in-depth research to see, yes, is it possible to find a fish big enough to swallow a human being? Uh, you know, confirming the story of Jonah. And while I did come up a bit short, I'm very happy with second and third place. And so um, just a blessed time to be able to share and to dig into this book. Um, just a quick overview of the book of Jonah. And it, it, it's a little different than many of the books in the Bible. And it's almost satirical in nature. Um, you have a prophet uh, who is actually not doing what he's supposed to do. The book is more about what the prophet is doing than really about God's word that is supposed to be spoken through the prophet. So that's a little bit different uh, as far as prophetic books go or the books of the prophets go. And uh, then it seems like all the characters are out of place. Uh, you have the prophet that is running away from God and doing the wrong things. You have uh, pagan sailors and a pagan king and a pagan nation uh, that are repenting and uh, moving forward and trying to be more godly. Uh, and even the cattle in Nineveh uh, are bowing their heads, we'll see in the, to you know, in the total of the story there. And so the cattle are actually repenting, uh, so to speak. So it, it's a very unusual book. And as I began to study this book again, and I think it, well, it's my opinion that this is a book that you start out studying through a magnifying glass. And when you come to the end of it, uh, you're no longer looking through a magnifying glass, but you're actually looking to a mirror. And the reason I say you're looking into a mirror is it causes us to think about maybe some of the tendencies that we have uh, as we have some of the characteristics of Jonah, both nationally and both personally. And so uh, it can be one of those books that very much is uh, confrontational uh, as we read through it and uh, we start to see ourselves and a little bit of the actions, the hard actions of Jonah and the people that he brushes up against uh, in this story. So the story goes, just a quick review uh, from chapter one is that uh, Jonah the prophet is commanded to go to a group of people uh, he refers to as the Ninevites, and it's really the capital of Assyria, the Assyrian Empire. And he is told to go there by the Lord, and that they're told that they need to repent, that their sin has risen to a point, and the Lord is going to deal with it. And it appears that that uh, nation is being dealt with already. They're brought into a place where they're very susceptible uh, to a change spiritually because there is... Uh, some famine and pestilence in the land historically. And so they're being softened up, so to speak, uh, to receive the word of the Lord. And so God goes and sends the word out through his prophet Jonah. And so Jonah, uh, rather than be obedient to the call of the Lord and go to Nineveh, uh, jumps on a boat to Tarshish, and he's going to go the opposite way on the ocean uh, to get away from these duties that God has called him to do. And uh, during this, there is a terrible storm. Uh, the lot falls to Jonah, and uh, the pagan sailors uh, kind of ask Jonah what his story is, and they find out quickly that he is in disobedience to God. And reluctantly, uh, he is thrown off the boat, and 
he is immediately swallowed, it said, by a large fish. And so, uh, and that sounds like a kind of a whale of a tale, but uh, it is also interesting that Jesus refers to the story of Jonah. So we know that it's 100% true. We just don't know exactly how that fish or that whale worked out. Um, so it leaves us with this question. How does a prophet of God, a man who knows the scriptures, uh, supposedly knows God, how does he go from a fisher of men uh, to fish bait? Uh, and much of that I think we can learn from the history of what is going on, the situation of what's going on and from the history between uh, Israel and between the Assyrian Empire. And I think that gives us a clue as to where Jonah's heart is. And after I started to do a little research on this, I started to soften up a little bit uh, against the disobedience of Jonah. I started to understand it a little bit better. And my hope is, is that you will too. Uh, the Assyrians uh, had done terrible things uh, to all the nations around them. They were greatly feared, but particularly they were exceptionally cruel with the nation of Israel. They're a constant thorn in Israel's side. Um, and so the opinion of Israel and the people of Israel towards the Assyrians, there was a hatred, uh, there was a dread, and I have to say a very uh, high level of unforgiveness, uh, care for the Assyrian people. Uh, before I get too far along, uh, yes, I know actually that unforgiveness is not a real word. Uh, it is a word you'll hear in pulpits and uh, from time to time, but unforgiveness is not a real word according to the dictionary. Uh, so I know that, but I will be using that word. I'm going to make it a word today if I can. I'll be using that word quite often as we, we speak. One of the reasons that um, as I began to research the background on this, that it had such gravity with me and I began to understand Jonah a little bit more um, was that I have so many Jewish friends and observant Jews. And some of these friends I've had for more than 40 years uh, from my childhood. And to hear um, the stories and the history on their family and the persecution, particularly the persecution that happened to them uh, during the years of World War II and the Holocaust in places like Dachau and Auschwitz and Treblinka, um, the great evil and harm that had been done to them uh, as a people group and as a nation, a collective nation of people uh, all over the world and how so much of that hatred still exists today and how much that is a fiber, just part of the fiber, uh, the very being of so many of my uh, observant Jewish friends. Uh, it's so much a part of their lives and something they, they live with and uh, are reminded of from time to time. And to hear their family's stories and uh, how much it's affected them and, to this day, and many of the family members that, that were affected by this are some of them were not even ones that they had met firsthand, but it was passed down to the next generation. And um, the level of animosity there that continues uh, to this day, especially as there is a uh, contingent of people in the world that want to now deny uh, that that ever happened, uh, uh, it seems to fuel that. And so, um, I have no business and I have no right to question uh, their attitude because this wrong was not done to me 
And so, uh, but I have observed it and I do understand it and I do uh, sympathize with it. And just so that it just adds so much gravity as I look at the story of ancient Israel uh, and their treatment by the Assyrians and how Jonah may have, uh, well, certainly have uh, picked up how he felt about the Assyrians and their empire and the people of Nineveh at that time. So with that, uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray and let's ask the Lord to teach us uh, through his word this morning. And so, dear Father, I thank you so much that these words are written down in, Lord, it is said many times that the Bible is the book uh, that reads us. And so how we read this and what it stirs up in us, Lord, um, both the things that it reinforces and the places in our lives it causes us to question, Lord. Um, it is nothing short of miraculous, and we're thankful for your word this morning. And so as we go through it, may your Holy Spirit be a teacher. May your word teach the word, Lord. And as we observe and we look at things, Lord, uh, in Jonah's life, but certainly have um, gravity and traction, uh, Lord, in our own lives. And so be with us, Lord, as we go through your word. And it is in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So Jonah chapter 2 is what we'll be uh, going over this morning and read along with me. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Point one on your outline. The affliction of unforgiveness is separation from God. Again, the affliction of unforgiveness is separation from God. And Jonah is using this word affliction. Uh, and uh, he knows God's word. Uh, one thing that's evident to me. You see, Jonah is a man who's supposed to know God's word. He's a prophet of the Lord. Um, he is in the belly of a fish. Uh, there's no flashlight, no candle, uh, nothing for him to be able to read. Uh, I would assume as he was thrown into the water, he didn't get to take a, uh, you know, uh, the scriptures with him. Uh, he did not have anything to you know, write on or anything like that. And so as he's speaking uh, these sections of scripture from uh, the Psalms, uh, we'll see in Lamentations, uh, we'll also see him quoting in First uh, Kings. These are from his heart. These are scriptures that he's memorized, that he's read, perhaps quoted to other people and taught other people himself. And so he is referencing the Psalms with no light, uh, just strictly out of his heart. And it strikes me as he is basically running the other way from the Lord and has been really difficult in this to the point of getting thrown off the boat, uh, rather dying, wanting to die than go to the Ninevites, that he's a man that knows quite a bit about God and maybe knows about God's word. But I don't believe he actually knew God, uh, not in the way that God wanted to know him. And, and that can be such a temptation for us that uh, we can read his word and know about his word, but not really know his word from who he is and his personality and his uh, thoughts and intentions towards man. And so God was going to use 
uh, Jonah's stubbornness, uh, his uh, disobedience, uh, he was going to use that in a big way to try to bring Jonah into a place where Jonah actually knew God and followed his commands, his intentions. Um, Jonah's nationalistic hatred of the Assyrians had blinded him and put him in the group, excuse me, in the grip of unforgiveness. And the grip of unforgiveness is a very, very powerful grip. It is as uh, much an influence as our lives as being addicted to a substance. Uh, bitterness and unforgiveness can take us and change us into people that really, people that God never intended us to be, uh, people that are hard to be around. Um, we never reach our full potential uh, when we hold on to bitterness and we hold on to unforgiveness. And it has clearly blinded Jonah and it has separated uh, his heart uh, from God's intention for him and made him into a disobedient man because he would rather hold on to his hatred and his unforgiveness uh, towards the Assyrians than obey the living God. And that's no small thing when you're a prophet of the Lord. What happens when we fail to see people like God sees them? See, some of the times where um, we see people as individuals and then sometimes we'll see large amounts of people as basically as a nation or a people group. And uh, this manifests itself in different places in our lives. See, it's so easy to classify people and to say all of those, a people group, are like this. It's very easy to do that and have a hatred toward them if we're not careful. In fact, it's catchy. Uh, it could be something that is copied. It becomes a national um, a mantra, so to speak. Um, I have family and extended family that fought in World War II and to hear their stories and uh, to sometimes hear uh, their attitudes and the words they use for some of the people groups that they um, fought against. Uh, I will say they probably came by it in a way we could say honestly, but uh, definitely there was a, a national still a hatred there or um, a dislike uh, many times. Uh, because of the circumstances and the things they had experienced at the hands of that people group. And so um, it, they would focus on the people group. Something that's a little bit harder, though, and, and, and really strikes close to home is when it's an individual. And that's quite another thing. And so unforgiveness and hatred for an individual manifests itself in our lives, too, and does uh, an equal amount of damage uh, in both parties. Now, as part of my five-day fishing trip, boat trip, um, I typically, when I'm on a boat, um, I don't let people know that I'm a pastor. I don't even really come out much and talk about my Christianity, so to speak. I'll ask questions and get people's stories. And I seem to always be in a position where I'm pouring into somebody's lives and I'm teaching them something or encouraging them in something. And they find out through that encouragement or that teaching or that perspective um, that I have a basis for my life, and it is the word of the Lord. Uh, it's a relationship with Jesus, and that's how I conduct myself and even my words. And so um, that's typically the situation. But then there's some times when I've been there where I'm being taught, where I'm observing. And uh, there was one particular individual on the boat that um, 
was a believer, or so he claimed to be, and he let me know that before um, I, I even mentioned anything. Yet his hatred of, uh, he called them liberals or, and Dems, and uh, our current president was well known in our conversation without him knowing where I stood. And that was the venom or the poison that was coming from him. And I thought to myself, how off-putting would that be for somebody who needed to hear uh, the hope uh, of salvation and forgiveness and the message and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And rather than this believer um, speaking of those good things and thinking on those good things, was talking of the things of politics and the things uh, that he had seen on television and the things that ramped him up. And uh, it was not a good witness. Uh, it was nothing encouraging about it. Uh, he was a very hard guy to be around uh, on a very small boat. And I say that because we can be that guy. Um, we can have that spirit of Jonah, so to speak, that we can move forward in that. And that would be our witness in the way that we communicate with people. And it was not beneficial to the kingdom. It was not beneficial to the kingdom. Jesus gives us a very good example in Matthew 18, uh, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 18 in verse 21. And why don't you turn there with me and we'll read along. And Peter had come to him and asked about forgiveness. And in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And that was kind of the, the thought at the t time in the teaching. And Jesus said to him, I do say to you, up, I do not say to you, excuse me, uh, up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And one, when he had began to settle uh, accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master what had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now this parable, which is not necessarily a real life story, it's something that Jesus is 
making up to illustrate a point shows us Jesus's heart, God's heart in how we should forgive one another and we should forgive other people even outside the kingdom. Um, it demonstrates God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. And the lesson that we can learn from this most importantly is not just that God has mercy and grace and forgiveness, is that that is designed to be passed on to others. Uh, we are to operate in that same grace and mercy and forgiveness as has been extended, extended to us to pass that on to other people. And it can be a challenge because we forget. Verse 4, it says, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Point two on your outline. The way to free ourselves from a life of unforgiveness is to remember our need to be forgiven and God's plan for it. You see, Jonah, again, without notes, twice references the temple and looking towards it, uh, thinking towards it. He references this two times to the temple. And the reason he references it uh, in 1 Kings chapter 8 and uh, it goes all the way through to 37, I believe he starts referencing it, is this is about a promise and a covenant. This is about a situation where um, Solomon had just dedicated the temple and he's having this conversation uh, with the Lord. And he's not saying if, he's saying when. There's pestilence and famine, uh, when the people sin and they do wrong, uh, that this temple would be there, that they could look towards it and remember the promise and the covenant uh, as long as they would repent, that there was a promise in that, uh, that there was salvation in that. And so Jonah is in the depths of the belly of a fish and he is referencing that uh, as his ticket towards salvation or redemption and repentance. And so he is repenting. And so he mentions this. Um, this was on a national scale. It was done before uh, Israel at the time. And so uh, Jonah is referencing a promise and a covenant. That is one of the challenges of day-to-day -day life for you and I. Um, I know that God has blessed me so much and uh, everywhere I look and I'm so thankful for the things that God has given me. I'm thankful for the things that God has not given me and I'm sure many of you are uh, in the same boat. Um, but sometimes we get overwhelmed by the things we see in media or situations and we can forget. And when we forget, we can be like this cranky prophet. And so God calls us to remember. And for the Christian, uh, there's a plan for remembrance. Now at Cross Connection, every seven weeks we do communion. And communion is a time when we uh, 
eat a little cracker and we have a little cup of grape juice and it's to symbolize and to remember the sacrifice of a perfect life of our Lord and Savior, that it was violent, that it was brutal, that it was costly, and it was done uh, to someone who didn't deserve it, who took our place. And in that, we get salvation by our relationship and our belief in Him. But communion reminds us uh, of that day and that time um, because we forget. Remembering for the Christian involves a bloody cross and, thankfully, an empty tomb. I know for myself, I, I, from time to time, I need to stop and during that time of communion and I will visualize and focus uh, on that sacrifice. Um, I many times will think about the fact that when we are in heaven, when we're in the glorious presence of our Lord, um, in a place of perfection and light, uh, a place without sin, a place where we, the old things have passed away, we'll forget that. We will look at a Savior with, that says, bears the scars um, that I put there, uh, that you put there uh, for our sin. Uh, that will be the only thing that seemingly would be imperfect, yet there is perfection and there's beauty in those scars uh, as a reminder of what he went through for us. That should be sobering. That should be powerful. Uh, that is a place where we mentally need to visit uh, to maintain a healthy spirit of forgiveness um, and how we want to view others as Jesus viewed others. Uh, one of my favorite books and many pastors' favorite books is a book called by Gene Edwards called A Tale of Three Kings. And it is a book that causes us to confront who we are in any given situation, how we're acting, if we are acting like a king after God's own heart like David or a king like Absalom who destroyed and took things away and dishonored his father and his God, or a king like Saul who started out well and didn't finish well. Uh, another one, and I know is, is a very hard one to watch, is to review the movie Mel Gibson's The Passion. And while it's not completely um, theologically accurate, uh, what a powerful scene to see uh, the PG version of the crucifixion and to realize um, the sacrifice and the pain that this sacrifice for salvation, um, it had to be made, but just how violent and how horrible it was. Uh, that should humble us. You see, in our modern, modern world in America, it's quite easy to be a Christian. It really is um, to be seen as one. Uh, you come to a beautiful church with heating and air conditioning. Uh, we listen to fantastic music and um, it's easy. Uh, it's encouraging. We're, we benefit by it. Uh, that's one aspect of our uh, relationship with the Lord. Um, but that's not Christianity. Um, the test or the proof of our Christianity, uh, it's much harder to be a Christian than it is to act like one. And the proof of our, our, our test of our 
um, relationship with the Lord and how seriously we take that sacrifice, how seriously we take our relationship. It is represented in our values and how we conduct ourselves, um, how we set up our lives. Is it towards the cross or is it uh, a life that is set up and values uh, the things of the world? Um, how we serve. I, I, I think it's such a painful statement, but so true when it is said every Christian wants to be seen as a servant until we're treated like one. And uh, that's a very sobering statement. So how we serve, how we serve others, um, how we give both of ourselves and, and uh, financially, all those things are tested at times, some more than others. And then lastly, uh, forgiveness. How do we forgive uh, the trespasses of others towards us? Um, do we take that hurt and that bitterness and do we hold on to it? Or do we let it go uh, as simply as uh, just letting it, we'd rather have the Lord let go when we confess our sin to them. And so those are tests that sometimes we just don't want uh, to let go of that. And so we fail those at times. During 2018, uh, my oldest daughter uh, has had occasion many times to go on mission trips and um, part of her uh, background is uh, in Arabic studies and Arabic language and so uh, she was invited to go on a short-term missions trip to Lebanon. And uh, if you don't know about the strife in Lebanon, um, after the Arab Spring, uh, there were approximately 7 million refugees to come out of Syria and points around there because of the persecution. And uh, over a million of these refugees ended up in Lebanon. Well, the history of uh, the Lebanese uh, and particularly Lebanese Christians and uh, the Syrians is not a good one. Uh, much harm had been done to the Lebanese Christians by the nation of Syria and the peoples of Syria. Uh, from uh, Syrians coming to fight against them along with uh, Muslims, uh, other Muslims to come fight against the Christians and they did horrendous uh, things to them, things that were war crime type things. And so uh, these things happened within the memory of these people alive here in 2018. Uh, and so she was at a camp coming alongside a church and uh, lots of younger people. And what they were doing is they were in the settlement there with the um, Syrian refugees and they were doing a vacation Bible school. And the goal was to support the Lebanese Christian church that was uh, there to evangelize, to bring the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to the Syrian children and to the adults that were watching. And they were serving them despite the history, uh, despite the national hatred, um, despite the division in the church over serving like that. And what I mean is, is that some of the Christians in Lebanon were serving at this camp and uh, giving and spending time and hearing the stories and telling them the stories of Jesus and ministering to them and yet their families and their neighbors and, uh, were uh, opposed to this. They were actually suffering and thought less of because they were ministering to the Syrians. They're putting their national uh, 
pride aside or their national hatred of the Syrians. Uh, they were taking the stories that they knew firsthand currently. They had parents and grandparents that had suffered uh, from this people group. They were putting that to the side for the Great Commission, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, one of the most powerful stories I've heard, I know certainly for my daughter, was one of the most powerful things she's witnessed. Um, it is one thing to say to be forgiving, but to have that kind of history and those type of things done against you and your family, and to be able to put that to the side and bring the gospel to the forefront, um, wow, what a, what a testimony and a testament to their faith. I pray as a church we can be more like those. So Jonah, verse 8, as we begin to wrap up, it says, those Jonah completely tends to go, is starting to wrap up here, and uh, he has referenced uh, Psalms and uh, First Kings and Lamentations, and so he's communicating with God all these promises, and he wraps up with this. He says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Point three on your outline. Our repentance is complete when we move towards obedience. You see, Jonah had been disobedient and he began to repent. And there, as you see in verse nine, he finally comes out with it, and his action is his changed heart. What God can see is that I'm going to give thanksgiving. I'm going to do what I vowed I would do and I should have done uh, because salvation is of the Lord. And so his change of heart uh, brings about action on the Lord's part. And so Jonah moves forward in obedience, and God reacts. Um, in the book of John, uh, chapter 21, verse 15, um, it's a beautiful story. And Peter had denied Jesus in front of the fire uh, three times. Uh, and the rooster crowed. And um, you know that story. And Jesus saw him and their eyes met. And it, it says that, that Peter wept bitterly. Uh, the next time that Peter would encounter Jesus was in John chapter 21. And it's a scene on a beach, and uh, Jesus is there with Peter. And I have to imagine that Peter is approaching Jesus very cautiously. And it's a, a tender exchange where Peter is restored by the fire, the breakfast with a friend. And it says so much about Jesus that he most likely, I'm sure he knew the burden that Peter carried by um, sinning against his friend. And this is not a figurative thing. This is not something against a people group. This is something that Jesus witnessed firsthand, face to face. And so by the fire, Jesus restores Peter and asked him if he loved, his, loved him, would feed his sheep, and restores him by the fire. Complete and total forgiveness, a demonstration of how Jesus did not take this personally or hold this against Peter, but in fact forgave him and uh, kind of gave him the keys to the kingdom. And uh, he would be such an integral part of the church after that. 
Jesus is wronged by a friend and restores him and gives him uh, this model. And it's so hard. One of the hardest things that you'll ever do is being in a situation where you're either having to repent or uh, to forgive somebody that is close to you. It is one of the hardest things. It's not a faceless group that you can shout at. It's not a faceless group that you'll never have uh, contact with again. Uh, it's not a nation. It's not a mob. But it's a person that you know. Um, this year marks my 23rd year of vocational ministry. Uh, it's my 30th year of ministry. Uh, counseling uh, couples is part of that. Married couples and individuals. And the amount of damage that unforgiveness can do in a marital relationship, um, it's staggering. Uh, the hurt and the pain for things that were done 10 years before, things that were said 10 years before, 20 years before. I have met couples that have carried grudges and unforgiveness in their hearts and it is slowly rusted, eroded, corroded their marriages and their relationships, not just with one another, but their relationship with the Lord and their relationship uh, with those around them. Um, it has changed them who they are as people in the grip of unforgiveness. And it's, it's hard because those we are closest to uh, know exactly what button to push. They know uh, exactly which thing to say. Uh, they can use uh, your own words against you. Uh, it can be so painful and it seems so out of character, so wrong to have somebody you love go for the throat like that, but it, it happens. And uh, it shouldn't be so with believers, but it is. And the cost of unforgiveness is such, such a toll, so heavy in the marital relationships. Um, the damage that I've seen done uh, to people when they reflect on how they were raised by the damage done by their parents and their inability to forgive the things uh, their parents have done, how those things that their parents have done against them have shaped them. Uh, and even long after uh, the parents' death, those things still uh, hung about them and, and, and it was a, a bitterness and an unforgiveness that shaped who they are as an adults and quite likely will pass on to their children and their grandchildren if they're not careful. Unforgiveness changes us. Unforgiveness holds us in a grip. It keeps us from being the people that God wants us to be. Now, there are real life consequences to disobedience. Um, there are real life consequences to unforgiveness. Um, and let me take a moment to describe what forgiveness is not, what it doesn't look like. Um, you know, as you may or may not know, um, I am executive pastor, so I, many of the things of the church I run or I supervise. And so uh, one of those things would be is we would never put somebody who had harmed uh, a child. Uh, uh, we would never put somebody who had harmed a child in a place where they would be around children or be interacting with children. That lacks wisdom. You would never put a person who had uh, transgressed in the area of finances in charge of finances. You wouldn't do those things uh, because that's wisdom. Would you forgive? Yes. But 
sometimes our actions have very long, very big consequences. Now, for Jonah's act of disobedience, um, he has consequences. He went from, if he had just been obedient to the Lord and he had just gone and done what he was supposed to do to begin with, he could have went at his own pace, uh, fully equipped, uh, ready to journey like he had always journeyed. But instead now, he is puked up on a beach and the nearest he could be is 375 miles from Nineveh, uh, a city that he's going to take three days to walk through. So he's on a beach. I can't imagine he took his credit card or his purse with him. I can't imagine he had a uh, change of clothes. So he is up on a beach, smelling like the innards of a fish. He has no supplies, no assets, no provisions. And he smells like he's been in a fish's belly for three days. It's a very difficult journey ahead by his own doing. The sad thing is, is that Jonah, and still gripped somewhere in him, was the spirit of unforgiveness, of prejudice and hatred, is that he really doesn't appear ever got over it even after his 375-mile uh, journey to Nineveh. Because we see in the later chapters, uh, he has no more love or acceptance. In fact, the reason that he uh, was disobedient to the Lord is because he knew that the Lord would have grace and mercy and forgiveness, and he was afraid that the Ninevites would repent, and he did not want them to get off the hook. And so that was the basis for this, and he goes and he relives this. My encouragement, um, brothers and sisters in the Lord, is do not let this be a part, a component uh, in your life. Uh, it will damage you. Uh, it will damage the reputation of our Lord and Savior. It will damage your family, those around you. It will turn you into somebody that you are not. My old pastor, Ray Bentley, used to say that bitterness is the pill we swallow to poison others and such a true statement. So my prayer for you is uh, to hold on to that grace, that mercy, and that forgiveness to others uh, as the Lord has done with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for allowing me to share this morning this perspective on a disobedient prophet, Lord. Um, not without an explanation, but a disobedient prophet. And I pray, pray, Father, that as we go into the highways and byways, our mission field, Lord, and even into our own homes, Lord, uh, that we do not copy the behavior uh, of the prophet Jonah. Father, I also pray uh, this morning for Northern California. As many of you see, I'm wearing a jacket. It's kind of stormy and chilly here. But Northern California this morning, Lord, that is uh, due to get quite the storm. Uh, there's been declared a state of emergency. And so, Father, I uh, pray for those homes and the property and the people above all things, Lord. And I pray that the uh, church, your people, Lord, would be seen as those who are constructive, those that are helpers, and those that are full of grace and mercy and tenderness for their fellow man. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you and have a great week.